Come on, brother. I got my own mic. Oh, love you. Yeah, come on. I will, I will. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, it's, there's nothing like having somebody come up to me in the last couple of years and say, hey, Jeff, can I, can I get your autograph from my mom? <laughs> she loves your music, man. She talks about everybody, okay? That get a little weird, but anyways. <laughs> it's a reality, but man, so thankful because I get to be here with you guys. I love this place. I mean, did you guys have a good break? Did you have a good break? I had a good break, right? I mean, some good stuff, some bad stuff, whatever. But I, I'm excited to be back. Who's excited to be back? Come on, you've been long to get back. Come on, this is the best place to be right now. I mean, come on, I've been, I was just over there worshiping the Lord, and I'm thinking, man, I love this place. Come on, just say that. Just say it out loud. Say, I love this place. Come on, I love this place. This is a great place. Man, I love this place. I just love it. And I, I have a word for you, too, real quick. The old is gone and the new has come. Come on, don't look at last semester. Maybe you failed last semester. Maybe you didn't do so hot last semester. But don't let last semester dictate this semester. Come on, you have a brand new start. It's okay. You may have messed up. You may have messed it all up. But guess what? This is a new semester. And if we come together arm in arm, hand in hand, come on, despite our differences, right? Despite our different personalities, different colors, different backgrounds, all that stuff. If we come together, we can do this together. Come on, amen, somebody, right? So I'm just excited to be here. And I just want to give you props, President Hagen and Karen as well. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation to be here at this school. I've been here for nine years. I, I still feel like the new guy. I'm, and maybe I'm not so much anymore, but uh, it's such a blessing because I came here. One of the reasons I came here was because this guy, Dr. Gordon Anderson, what an amazing man of God. Changed my life, touched my life. And we have an incredible past at North Central University, incredible heritage here. People praying at these altars before you were born, right? So that you could have a place at these altars. But now we have, we're in a new phase. And I just wanna thank you, President Hagen and Karen, for coming, for accepting the invitation to bring the passion for the, for the next thing for what God is doing now and for the next. And I'm so excited because you encourage so many people. I mean, how many of you guys have been around these, these two and you're just always encouraged? They're always encouraging us. But not only are they encouraging us, they're stirring us, they're pushing us. Say, come on, it's not over. There's more, right? There's more. There's still more that God wants to do. So I just thank you guys so much. You have personally blessed my life. Personally blessed my life. I could go and tell some stories about how things you've said to the whole faculty have made me go, oh, man, I need to work on that. And I have, and God's been working in me. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I also want to honor a couple of friends who came here back in the back over here. Uh, my friend and one of my mentors, Chuck Porta, and his friend and my new friend, Rich Gow. Could you guys like wave or something like that back in the back? Come on, let's go. Let's give it up for them. They're here and they're taking me to lunch and we're going to go somewhere expensive. So That'll be, that'll be good. That'll be good. <laughs> we'll preach quick and get right to lunch. No, no, no. <laughs> also, you know, it's not my fault that my wife showed up for, to hear me preach the day before her birthday. You know, I mean, Martha Dio is right over here. So I just thought, happy birthday to you. Come on. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. 
say, dear Martha, happy birthday to you. Yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> oh, man. That's my girl. Thank you for being here. It always means so much to me. Uh, last thing before I jump into the message. Um, we are building culture. I didn't even understand that term, really, when I first got here nine years ago. Really, it was, it was actually tomorrow is my nine-year anniversary. Showed up the 10th of January and didn't have a clue. Got here at night, and the snow is everywhere, and I'm trying to find my way. They had me living in the 901 apartments over here and stayed there for a couple of months while we're, our family was in transition. But nine years ago, today I arrived, nine years ago, tomorrow, we started with meetings, and I had never been a, at a university. I'm like, what am I doing here? God has called me here, and I don't even understand why. One of the things he's called me here to do, and I'm super passionate, probably the, the thing that I'm most passionate about, I love teaching, I love preaching, I love leading worship, but I love to build culture. And it's the culture of the kingdom. That's all that I'm about. I just want to like, if we're here, and kingdom culture is over here, well, I want to do whatever I can to help us move from here to here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just simple. I'm, I just want to get us where God wants us to be. And so as we read the word, as he reveals what kingdom culture looks like, I want to be a part of that. And one of the things that I've seen, I want to give props to Ellington and Tawana yesterday. It was an incredible time of worship in his presence. And then today again with a team. I mean, and one of the things, I don't know if you're noticing this stuff. I mean, this was an incredible place already when I got here. Incredible place to come and worship and seek the Lord. But something's been shifting I don't know if you noticed, I mean, I, I, thank, I thank Ellington and Tawana and the team today for being sensitive, to, let, to not step on our toes with songs and just invite us to begin singing. I mean, you could hear it. Like, like you guys singing was almost louder than the music here. It was like you took over. There's this concept that Bob Sorge talks about, about platform-driven worship versus multitude-driven worship. How do we live in a platform-driven worship culture? The guys up here, the ladies up here, they're telling you, stand up, sit down, sing louder, shout, clap your hands, whatever, you know, right? And we just obey whatever they say. But that's not kingdom culture. We need to move, and we're getting there slowly but slowly, but we're moving from platform-driven to multitude-driven worship. You've heard us inviting you to, to bring a word from the Lord, to come ready to worship the Lord, not come dragging yourself in. We have a whole culture in the church today that drags themselves to church. If I can just get to church, then I can get refreshed. But God's called us to be refreshed daily in our time alone with him. So we actually come to church filled up, ready to pour out and to celebrate together and receive more from him. So we're moving from, flat, pl from platform-driven worship to multitude-driven worship. Sometimes you get up here and you start leading and you feel the people. I feel you pushing back on me and it inspires me. And then I push back on you and you push back on me. And we all go deeper into the presence of God together as opposed to everyone showing up and hoping that the worship leaders can inspire them. Right? I mean, it's not going to be like that in heaven. There won't be worship leaders in heaven, right? Not necessary because Jesus will be right there. We'll see him face to face and we won't need extra inspiration. The number one job of a worship leader, and if you've been in my worship leading class, you better know what I'm about to say. The number one goal of a worship leader is to work yourself out of a job. The number one job of a worship leader is to work yourself out of a job. That means if I can get to the place where the congregation takes over, 
Oh man, I get to step back and just join in. I don't have to try to beg people, plead people to worship because they're seeing him face to face. It's beautiful. We're trying to build that culture, an awakened, pure worship culture. If you know me, you know that uh, recently I wrote a book. This book is my first book. It's called Awakening Pure Worship. And you're like, okay, well, that's great, Jeff. I love books, and I got so many already. <laughs> I'll read that in three years, four years from now. <laughs> All right, I get it. I get it. That's cool. I didn't read any books when I was in college other than the ones I was supposed to read. <laughs> uh, but um, this book is really the culmination of what God's been doing in my heart and is still doing in me because my number one passion in life is to grow close to God. That's my number one passion. My number two passion is to help you grow close to God. All right? My number one passion is I want to grow close to God. And God has shown me some things that I wanted to share with you that have helped me keep from growing numb, keep from growing complacent, keep from growing blah, keep, and stay on fire for God. And that's what I'm sharing in this book. This book is not so much about uh, musical worship, although musical worship is a portion of that. We know worship's way bigger than that, right? It's how we live our life. Everything we do, whether we love our spouse or love our kids, how we love our parents or honor them, it's worship or not worship unto God, right? Our obedience is worship to God. Anything that honors God is worship. Musical worship's a part of that. It's an important part. That's not the whole. So this book is not just about musical worship, although I do talk about some of those things in here. See, I'm convinced that Many of us are sleeping on the number one most important thing. See, I'm a bottom line guy. I don't know, maybe it's a little too simple, but I just like to simplify things. And I'm like, I don't know what this thing is all about. I just want to understand what's it all about. I mean, what, what is this book about? Oh, it's love God, love people. Okay, I understand that. Everything in here, every command, love God, love people. What's the bottom line? What is, what, when I, is that, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I missed the point. I, if I had a fear, that'd probably be my greatest fear, that I, would, that I would get to the end of life, I would have worked hard, did everything I thought I was supposed to do, and God said, oh, shoot, you missed it. And I had it right there in, in the book, in the book that he wrote. <laughs> God has called us to waken. Yeah, I know, we all understand that Christianity is about relationship with God, right? We understand that. But I've found that many of us walk more closely in relationship with religious activities than we do with the creator of the universe. We walk more closely in fellowship and relationship with the things of this world than we do in actual fellowship with the person of God. We like the idea of God. We like the ministry of God. But do you actually have fellowship on a daily basis in alone time with him and all throughout the day, fellowship with him, the person of God. That is what he is inviting us into. And I am called, and I know many of you here, my brothers and sisters, you're called too to raise up a radical, awakened generation that truly worships God from all their heart. Because we believe that if we would get on fire for God, it will spill over. See? but we can't give away what we don't have. Take this quote from A.W. Tozer. If you know A.W. Tozer, he likes to kick you in the teeth with his sayings. 
Yeah, this one isn't necessarily a kick in the teeth one, but it's definitely one that makes you think. I love, I love how people flip things. I love words. I love communication. I love how people take words and flip them around. I love this one. He says, we are called to an everlasting. See, this is a bottom line statement for me. This is, what's the bottom line? Here it is. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. The question, what are you preoccupied with? What am I preoccupied with? I mean, I love the way he uses this statement because usually when we think of preoccupation, we think of it in the negative, right? I was so preoccupied with that girl sitting in front of me that I couldn't listen to what Jeff was saying. See, I was preoccupied. But in this situation, preoccupation becomes a good thing. Because guys, what if? What if you were so preoccupied with God that you forgot Oh, wait, did you hear what I said? That you forgot to worry. Oh, man, Jeff, I was so preoccupied with God. I, I was so caught up in my relationship with him, with studying in scripture and walking with him on a daily basis that I forgot to be afraid. <laughs> what if I forgot? What if I forgot to buy into the lies of the enemy? Shoot, I made a mistake. I've been so caught up with God that I forgot to buy into his lies. Come on. What if I was so preoccupied with God that I forgot to sin? Ooh, I don't know. That's, that's pushing a little too far there, Jeff. I don't know. Point is, what are you preoccupied with? God's called you to an everlasting preoccupation with him. Let's look at this scripture. I call this the one thing scripture. Luke 10, 38 through 42 it's so what Jesus has to say about it. Again, it's a one thing scripture because it's a bottom line. It's like, what's most important? Let's find the things that are the most important. Start with that foundation and then build upon that, okay? It says this, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Shout out to you, babe, but you know, you're getting... It's a, it's a new thing. It's a new generation, new woman, new Martha. <laughs> 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was preoccupied. Or wait, it doesn't say that. It says distracted, sorry. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, and I'm sure you've never said anything like this, uh, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. You're preoccupied. Verse 42, your bottom line statement there is only, you say it, one thing. One thing. Say one thing. Come on. There's only one thing worth being worried about, concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. What are you preoccupied with? Jesus is trying to say in this story there's only one thing. We start with one thing. There's many other things to life, but we start with the foundational thing. 
Martha was distracted. Martha was preoccupied with other things. Jesus is highlighting this, and he's inviting us into this to say, come, receive the invitation. So I'm going to go through four things real quick, four highlights from this book. Number one, God places before us an unimaginable invitation. What is it? It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to intimacy. Now, I got to be honest, when I grew up, that word freaked me out a little bit because I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in a real, uh, really conservative church. You know, I think people have heard me say this before, but in our church, if you raised your hand, we thought you had a question, you know. But this is not a Pentecostal church, real conservative. We sang two songs standing up, two songs sitting down, stanzas two, one, two, and four every time, which is fine. But honestly, I missed the point. I didn't realize that there was a connection that could be made, that should be made, in that time of musical worship where I could worship the Lord. I didn't realize this beautiful invitation to intimacy. Now, ladies, uh, forgive me if I'm going to come across sexist here. I don't think I will, but just forgive me right up hand. All right, listen, I think when it comes to some of the metaphors in the Bible, us guys have it a little bit harder. I mean, how many guys are that excited about the analogy or the metaphor of bride of Christ? Oh man, I can't wait to put on that dress, put the veil down and walk down the aisle. You know, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Come on, the bride of Christ, that's just unfair, right? I mean, and then when I was in middle school, somebody started reading out of Song of Songs. I was like, what is going on here? I know that I did not, without a shadow of a doubt, I didn't want to hear about my girl's cheeks being like pomegranates. I don't want to hear about my girl's neck being like the Tower of David. I didn't want to hear for sure about her teeth being as white as sheep. Guys, side note, if your girl's teeth are as white as a sheep, you might want to get her some crest whitening strips. Yeah, yeah. I ain't seen sheep that are that white, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're kind of white. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, I definitely did not want to hear about my girl's hair being like the flock of goats frisking down the slopes of Gilead. I don't even know if that's a compliment. I don't know. The invitation to intimacy seemed weird to me. I didn't realize it was a metaphor. That God was calling me close. And yeah, though it seems strange to read Song of Psalms, what he's saying is, I want to completely expose you. And I want to completely reveal myself to you in intimacy, in close fellowship. It's this beautiful invitation to intimacy. And I missed it. That everything, reading the word, prayer, and musical worship, And our whole life is meant to help us get to God, to help us to come into his presence. Because we don't read the word of God to know the word of God. We read the word of God to know the God of the word. Right? Maybe you're just memorizing the word of God. That's not what it's for. You should memorize it. But so you can remember who he is. He's revealing himself to you. And he's inviting you into intimacy. Number two, the cross is a beginning, not an end. And this is a real complicated one, but I think it's it's real simple. But it's a problem. All throughout our culture, there's this idea, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and and you understand the death and and his resurrection for us, you have this idea that the cross is an end as opposed to what it really is, a beginning. 
People think that, oh, okay, Jesus died, rose again, forgives me of my sin, I go to heaven, and it's all good. That's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's not even the point. In fact, can I say it this way, at risk of offending you? Jesus didn't die for your sins. Pause. Don't throw anything. (laughs) Jesus didn't die for your sins. Jesus died to reconcile you to the Father. And your sins were just standing in the way. See, this is about purpose. We're trying to discover purpose. What's the point of forgiveness? I'm forgiven, done, good. No, the forgiveness, unforgiveness kept us from relationship, fellowship with God. And so Jesus had to remove it so that we could come and be with the Father. That's the point, right? Because salvation is not the one thing. It's the thing that makes the one thing possible. Right? Salvation is not the one thing. It's the thing that makes the one thing possible. What about John 14, 6? It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We think this scripture is about Jesus. It's not. It's about relationship. If Jesus is the way, what's he the way to? He's the way to something. He calls himself the door, the gate. So many people come to the door and they go, wow, what an amazing door. I never walked through Come on, somebody. What an amazing door. It's beautiful. And you should be in awe of the door because there was no door without Jesus. But he said, I'm the way. I'm the gate to something. What is it? Some people peek in and go, wow, it's beautiful over there. Come on, let's go. Let's bust through the door. Let's go and have fellowship with Jesus. Let's have fellowship with the Father. Well, the verse itself answers itself, right? It says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. That's another bottom line verse. Did you see it? Did we miss it before? The bottom line of John 14, 6 is not who Jesus is, even though that's important. Don't hear me wrong. But his importance, the purpose of his sacrifice is to bring us into relationship with the Father because the cross is not a beginning, it's an end. Number three, ministry for God must Never supersede intimacy with God. I think this is one of the greatest traps in the church. See, if God can't get you sinning, busy sinning, he's going to get you busy doing ministry. Some of us actually have ministry as an idol. And it's tempting. I'm telling you what, I'm a driven person. I like to do, I like to work, I like to, but I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being being. And before God calls us to do anything with him or for him, he calls us to be with him. See, we weren't called to do great things. See, we have it backwards in our society. We think everybody's longing. If they could just do something great, then they'll become someone great. Do you see how that's reversed in the kingdom? Everybody's trying to do something great, write a great book, sing a great song, be in a movie, uh, discover uh, the cure to cancer, uh, have some great business, or have some video that goes viral. If I could just do something great, then I'll become someone great. In the kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. You do great things because of the greatness that Christ has put in you, because of who you are. Out of the overflow of your relationship, your fellowship, With the king, you will. In fact, you won't be able to stop doing great things. You won't be able to stop because you have such a close connection. Well, Jeff, what if we get so lost in our our focus and, 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 and secret place time with God? 
trust me, you're, you're not at risk at that, okay, at this point. You know, what if I never come out? I'm 24 hours a day in God's presence. Man, do that for a year. It'll change your life, and you'll come out, and you'll change the world because of your connection with God. Many people are trying to do ministry outside of intimacy. Let me just show you that the scriptural risk that's at play there. Matthew 7, 22, 23 says this, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. Is that ministry? And it's even ministry that God wants us to do. I mean, it's supernatural, it's powerful ministry. But then Jesus said this, but I will reply, I never knew I'm not going to go into the theology of, of how we can do these, other, these miracles and prophecy and all that stuff without having a relationship with God, but that is a relational phrase. I never knew you. That means it's possible to be a pastor, a professor, a leader in the church and do ministry activities and never actually have a relationship with God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Number four, worship is not for God. Again, don't throw anything yet, okay? Um, please, actually, never. But Yeah, never. <laughs> Listen, worship is not for God. Can I, can I say it this way? Worship is about God. Worship is to God, okay? It's always about God, and it's always to God. And yes, at times, we have tried to make it about us. But it's always about God, and it's always to God. But it's a gift that God has given, and it is for us. Let, let, me, let me just clarify real quick. Let me ask you this question. When you worship God, who's changed most? God or you? Has God changed? No, he gets what he wants. He has a relationship with us. But you get what you need. See? Psalm 50, 8 through 12 says this, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. Insert, because we don't do, you know, goats and bulls and all that stuff now. Insert sacrifices, singing, worship, obedience. These are our sacrifices. He says, I don't need them. See, he's, he's answering a question that maybe no one was even asking. Or maybe the, the, the nations surrounding Israel were asking and they were kind of laughing, poking fun at the Israelites saying, oh, why do you got to keep bringing those bulls and goats to your God? Is he like hungry or something? You know, are you providing food for him? And God is saying, no, you don't understand. I'm not asking you to do this for me. I'm asking the, you to do this for you. God is saying, I don't need anything. I certainly don't need you to worship me. I do enjoy a relationship with you, but most of all, I wired you to need to worship me. When you worship me, it does not fulfill a need I have, but it fulfills a foundational need that you have. Do you understand? See, it's me who's changed when I lift my hands. It's me who's changed when I obey. When I take a step of faith and I obey in the face of temptation, I say no, and I take the way out that's provided for me in every temptation. It changes my heart. 
It's not like God is up there going, yay, they did what I told them to do. I mean, yes, he's, he's pleased, but he's pleased because you are impacted by your decision to do what he told you to do. He, he, told, he told, told you to worship him. He told you to lift, oh. But we've got to change this mentality from I have to to I get to you because it's a beautiful invitation. He's called us. He's invited us. Do I have to lift up my hands to God? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to read the Bible? If you have that attitude, you're missing it. You've got to flip that thing because you get to. You have a God who made the universe and he's revealing himself to you through his word and you get to read his word. You get to talk to him. He actually avails himself to you when he could just shut the heavens and say, you know, you guys do it on your own, but he's making himself available. And you say, do I have to? I get to. I get to come into his presence. I get to be changed by him. The question is, how will we respond? And I know that our time is done, but what I'm going to do in a second here is I'm going to play a song from just over the system. It's a song called Carried to the Table. And if you have to go now, that's totally fine. I totally understand. If you can give it a couple of minutes, the song's about five minutes long. It'd be great if you could stay. Because the question is, will you respond to the invitation the way that King David did? King David in Psalm 27, 8 He said this, and I want this to be your response. He said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. See, it's relational. Come and talk with me. What did they do in the garden? Adam and Eve. They walked and talked with God. That's the point of life. Come on. And King David said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I So today, will you, it's a very simple invitation. Honestly, it's not really that complicated, but you could find a hundred reasons to reject his invitation today. Too busy, too busy doing ministry to sit and hang out with you, Jesus. The call is to do what Mary did. This morning, I'm gonna call you for five minutes, if you can, to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. As this song plays called Carried to the Table, we understand that It's not a place that God has set for us at the table that we have earned or that we deserve. But there's a seat there waiting with your name on it. Will you come and sit and feast at the table? As the song plays, I invite you to come and and just sit at the feet of Jesus. Take a few minutes and fellowship with the Lord.
The invitation this morning is simple. If I would encourage you to do something from this day forward, I would say do whatever you can to spend more time with the Lord. Start with that foundation. There's so many passages I could go through 10 or 15 more passages that show us that the number one most important thing to do is to spend time with God. That is the point of life. Why would we expect to not spend time alone with him in this earth and then hope to spend all of eternity together with him? It doesn't make sense. We would want to demonstrate our desire to walk and talk with him now. And so he's inviting you to carve out time I know there's so many things in our lives, but what I have found is when I carve out time to spend time alone with God, the one, the creator of time. See, some of us don't have enough time to spend time with the creator of time. Come on. If he made time, don't you think he can fudge it a little bit for you? Like if you spend time with him, there's something that maximizes in you. You'll get the work done that you need to. But there's this lie that tells you I don't have time to spend time with the creator of time. But he's inviting you into incredible intimacy with him, to place alone. And what if, what if, I sound like a car salesman when I say this, but what if that was the simple answer to every struggle that you're facing? I mean, you know, go, go get counseling and go read books on how to fix this and how to do this. But what if the reason we don't have peace is because we're not spending time with the Prince of Peace? I mean, He's the source. What if the reason that we're depressed is because we're not hanging out with the one who gives unexplainable joy? Do you expect to grow closer to God by not spending more time with him? He's calling us. He's inviting us to this beautiful thing where we spend more time with him and out of that will flow incredible. It'll flow incredible ideas and beautiful things that you will then do together with him. But receive the invitation today. Let me just pray for you. Father, we just, we come and we say together, Lord, we understand this is a struggle. You understand our struggle. Lord, we come to you and we just ask, would you help us? Help us to see what you're saying in this passage? Would you teach us to come and sit at your feet? Would you teach us to grow in intimacy? Would you teach us to echo the words of Paul that said that he counted everything else as worthless except to know Christ? Or would you help us to understand these things and to carve out time? We, we love you. Even though sometimes our actions don't show that, Lord, we love you and we want to live it. Will you teach us? Will you help us? Will you meet us in the secret place as we come? Lord, I pray for every student, every faculty, every staff, Lord, that you would touch every one of us and draw us closer into relationship with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the music plays, feel free to hang out if you want. Obviously, if you need to go, please do. God bless you guys. Have a great day.